Welcome to The Summit with your co-hosts, Jeremy Turman and Andrew March. The Summit uncovers the true drive and motivation that makes people successful. We talk with amazing individuals to break down how they define success, choose their goals, and their decision-making process as they climb their mountains. On today's episode, we do want to thank our sponsor, Fitzby, an athleisure company designed to re-inspire and further facilitate your on-the-go lifestyle. Check out Fitzby at fitzby.com, that's F-I-T-S-P-I.com, and use code SUMMIT30 for 30% off. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome climbers to the Summit Podcast. You've got on the show today, um, Jeremy Terman, myself, Andrew Martz, and a guest that we're really excited to have, Chris Rudigrap. And Chris is a serial entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of a company called Sendoso. And Sendoso is the leading sending platform that helps companies stand out by giving them new ways to engage with customers throughout the process of of buying products and sending gifts and tokens of appreciation. And Chris, as an entrepreneur, has sold his first company in 2009, shortly after graduating college, a company called allstudentrentals.com. He's been in technology for a number of years in sales and operating roles. And, you know, we're excited for the conversation today. So without any further ado, um, we'd like to welcome Chris to the podcast. So Chris, welcome and happy to have you. Thank you so much, Andrew and Jeremy. I'm excited to be here today. So to give our listeners a, a little bit of a background on, on who you are and, and really what is, you know, the most important mountain or goal that you're, you're pursuing now, um, why don't we just kick it off right there? Yeah, so a little bit about my background, you know, uh, born and raised in California. Uh, I live in Marin County now in San Rafael, but spent about the last decade in San Francisco and grew up just a little north of the year. I went to college at Chico State University, where I kicked off some of my entrepreneurial endeavors there. Um, For me, you know, success and the big uh, kind of goal at the end for me is just really, you know, financial freedom and, you know, happiness that comes from that and happiness that comes from surrounding myself with, you know, amazing friends and family. So that's what I'm kind of striving for. Um, And, you know, over the course of the last couple decades, I realized that, you know, being a founder and the equity outcome that can come from, you know, an exit um, can get you to that financial freedom. I know that there's other ways that other people can do it. Uh, but that was my path that I saw that will uh, really make that dream come to reality for me. So when you evaluate all the businesses that you've done, is it solely based on, hey, here's an opportunity where I think I can make some good money? Or there's like, oh, I see the market moving here, so I need to get into this direction. You know, knowing that financial freedom is kind of a, a target that you shoot for. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, money is definitely a motivator, but, you know, I I think that that's maybe a shallow way to look at business opportunities in that, you know, ultimately a a business that's going to have a big uh, potential exit is going to need to solve a big problem in a big market and you're going to need to build a pretty big team around it. So I'd say I'm not looking for like a multi-level marketing online scam to make a quick hundred bucks um, but, um, you know, when I definitely think about businesses, I'm thinking more so about, you know, what could become big, um, versus what's some quick cash I can make. Totally. So, you know, building a company is hard. 
Um, you know, you've had your, your hand in a number of businesses and have been on the, on the sales side. So you know how tough it is to actually sell a product, build a product, you know, generate some income. Um, but, you know, kind of moving away from the financial component, how much, because you did mention relationships, how much have relationships in the course of building these businesses um, played a role in your attractive, like how attracted you, you are to building companies yourself versus working for other companies? Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, as it relates to relationships, I think there's a couple of things to think about. One, um, when looking at, uh, you know, starting a company, having a, a really strong co-founder or uh, kind of uh, advisory group can really be a big uh, game changer. Um, you know, there's, I think I've heard horror stories of like founder disputes or just, you know, when you're a small company, having a, uh, an advisor or mentorship can really uh, help get you through those uh, hard times or help celebrate those micro milestones to keep the momentum going. So I think there's relationships as it relates to kind of the early founding of a company. Um, I think there's personal relationships. You know, my wife played a big part in my success or in our success together with Sendoso as when I quit my uh, job at TalkDesk, you know, the, the day after, the, or, you know, when I quit, I was, you know, making in the mid 200s as a, you know, uh, top performing sales rep. The next day I made zero. And so my wife was able to, you know, you know pay our bills through her uh, job and also feel that it was a good bet on her side. So that supportive relationship from an entrepreneur perspective helped me make the jump. Um, you know, there's a, there, there could have been a period where if I was single and I it didn't have enough financial backing that that could have been a harder decision. Though I, you know, not to say that being married is a necessary thing, but that was definitely helpful in my journey. Um, so I think those relationships uh, personally too um, helped me get to where I wanna be. Did you learn this through college? It seems like a lot of people learn to, to network or build relationships uh, at the university, or maybe they grew up with parents that were uh, in the business or professional world, so they learned that. Where do you learn that that skill set? Yeah, so my parents were probably the opposite of entrepreneurs. My mom was like a stay-at-home mom, and my dad was like an engineer for the city of Santa Rosa Water Department. So worked there for like 35 years, only job, then retired kind of thing. So very different paths. Um, but I think I was inspired growing up in the Bay Area to see what was happening in Silicon Valley, to read, you know, biographies, blog posts, stories. Um, and then, you know, going into college, um, you know, I really, uh, one of my professors, um, you know, hinted on it's not always what you know, but who you know. And that kind of stuck with me early on, too, to want to build a network of really smart people around me. Um, and even in college, you know, I was uh, in the, you know, business uh, student in the College of Business, and I thought to myself, well, hey, there's this College of Engineering that I'm never going to meet anybody in any class because I'm not taking, you know, those type of classes. So, you know, I, I started a, a, what I called the Center, for, or the, uh, it was the Innovation Association, which was like a, a student org that my goal there was to invite some of the business students and some of the engineering students to get together. And it was actually where I met um, my co-founder for uh, All Student Rentals and also now uh, one of my lifelong friends who was at the time in the, uh, doing some stuff in, in the College of Engineering too. So um, yeah, I think it's sometimes you got to create your own opportunities. Um, and so in that case, 
you know, doing, making that student org was a way for me to uh, expand my network and meet new people. And, um, you know, I feel like it, it, it ran its course and paid off for me. That's awesome. I'd love, I would love to explore just the, you know, the topic of, you know, being able to, you know, trust and rely on, you know, people close to you, like you mentioned, you know, with your wife, I think that's a topic that we haven't covered on this podcast that could be really interesting for a lot of people. But, you know, one thing that I'd like to understand, which could be a topic of interest for a lot of people is your decision making process for your first business, you know, all, all student rentals, and how the decision to start that business was either similar or different from choosing to start Sendoso, just given where you were in life, you know, you had mentioned having a successful sales career. So just really curious, you know, how did your thought process, um, what was your thought process when choosing to start these two businesses at those points in your life? Yeah, so um, the origin of any good idea, in my opinion, is really the pain and the problem that it solves. So I really uh, came to that conclusion, you know, very early, probably pre-college, even when I was thinking about being in, an entrepreneur in college. And so my back then, and I, I haven't used this in a while, but I had an email address that was like, I think it was 300, 365 ideas at gmail.com with the goal that every day I would train my brain to send a problem to that email address so that I could go look at it at a later date. Cause sometimes you get these blinders. It's like, Oh, this is the coolest idea ever. I'm going to go start a company around this. And you wake up two weeks later and like, that was dumb. I was just drunk or something. And so it gave me a little bit more discipline to come back to the ideas in this inbox. But the other thing it made me do is look at, look at the world in a bit more of like a problem solution type of environment. So I was just a little bit more cognizant than probably the average person of like, what were the pains and problems around me? And so for all student rentals, when I was in college, I wanted to, you know, uh, move to a new look, move to a new house. Um, and I was looking at Craigslist and I was like, this is just like a, sh a shitty user experience. I wanted to figure out places that were like, what's the closest proximity to walking to, to school? Like what are, you know, college preferred housing? Cause you don't want to live in some like, you know, house that your neighbors are all adults kind of thing, or at least at the time. So like that pain for me of like not finding that, having to kind of hack together and just being kind of frustrated and then kind of validating that with other friends gave me enough of a pain point to say, hey, this is actually something that, you know, if I could fix this, scratch my own itch um, and, you know, I could then maybe start a business around it. Um, and that was very, very similar to Sendoso too, which was, you know, at, at talk desk where I was working in sales before, you know, I really saw the kind of evolution of email and that email was becoming a less personalized channel. I was starting to do a bit more of like gifting, direct mail, handwritten notes, um, combining that with, you know, marketing kind of butting heads around like, you're not tracking this, you're not expensing it right, you're stealing from our swag closet, you know, use this spreadsheet instead. And like that whole painful process of like using a spreadsheet and this in a, uh, really terrible, you know, manual offline problem made me think like, hey, this is something that software and, you know, process and logistics and, you know, business could solve better than, you know, this manual crappy workaround. And so that pain that I felt there was big enough uh, for me to start something new. 
I, I, I really love the fact that you created the 365 ideas at gmail.com. I almost want to send you a couple of emails of some <laughs> ideas I have that we can collaborate on. But I think that point, uh, one of my mentors, gosh, probably when I was in high school going into college, always told me when you walk into a business or a room, evaluate the scene, evaluate the process, and where can you improve stuff? I feel like it's just a mindset or a hat. Mm -hmm that if you want to embrace and live in that world, you need to say, great. If I want to be someone that's an inventor, creator, entrepreneur, this is like my hat is always on and I'm always thinking. Yep. So write something down when you wake up in the morning, or if you have a good idea, text it to yourself, email it to yourself. And I think sometimes people have those ideas and they don't put them anywhere. And so to your point, Chris, of problem, pain to solution, that people experience those pains and problems all the time. Now, if they really want to solve them and build things to, to accomplish that, they need to document, they need to think about it time over time, share with friends, ideate, get a whiteboard, start putting those ideas down. Because that's truly how, like, if you're going to build the foundation of something, you need to be tracking it somehow and be deliberate in your thought process. I, I, I want to double down a little bit more in this mindset of starting a business versus working for someone, because you can see the element of, I'm building and scaling. Okay, I could do that for myself or I can build and scale for a team. And obviously you flip back and forth between the two. Yep. Um, so how do you find that right balance of, okay, I'm willing to work for a, a someone else. I'm willing to be part of a bigger org versus that, no, I need to be something on my own and I need to own and run this. Yeah, so for me, and I think this is good advice for others, it's really like, in some cases, you don't know what you don't know, and it's easier to learn from others than it is to make your own mistakes at times. So when I left, uh, when I kind of exited All Student Rentals, and it was, you know, the team was only about a dozen people, it was pretty small, um, it was, but for me, it was a good transition into a much more uh, sophisticated, uh, you know, fast growth company in, in Yapstone that I could learn a lot more about what I didn't know. So I'd say like, you know, uh, college didn't ever prep me for like, you know, when's the right time to hire certain people? What's the right scaling? What are the right metrics to look at? When do you like, who are the right people on the team that you need at the right stage of the company? And so, at, you know, uh, I kind of saw a nice means to an end and a nice exit with leaving uh, and exiting and also getting from into the Bay Area, which was my goal and working for other entrepreneurs. And so when I jumped into Yapstone, I was basically kind of like a sponge, you know, secretly learning while being just like uh, an awesome top performing sales rep. You know, it's uh, so while I was selling and prospecting closing deals, I'd also say, hey, we just hired a finance person or a controller and we're at, you know, 120 people and let me get lunch with them to see what they're doing kind of thing. And so it was kind of like a way for me to, you know, semi get like a startup education and in, in scaling a, a, a fast growing company um, while getting paid as a sales rep. And so that was a, a cognitive decision to learn, you know, go through that exercise and have fun and make money doing that. And then, you know, I went into another company, Pacora, where I was the first business person out of two other engineers. So that was a really good experience coming in as basically employees one um, raising funding, scaling that up. And again, it was enough on someone else's dime where I could learn and network really well. Um, and then I moved on to talk desk where I saw another opportunity to learn too. So outside of the learning, I think the other key component too is having a network of people that you can hire or connect with. So, 
you know, when I was at All Student Rentals, really the only people in my mind that I could hire that I could trust that I could convince to come work for some company that was making no money and we were in a, you know, above a pizza hut or a pizza store and like, you know, come after school and just like, you know, do the do this, which, um, you know, it took a, a bit of selling to do that. Um, moving on to when I was leaving Talktis to start Sendoso, I had relationships now over the last eight years in San Francisco that I could kind of ping for things. So my first sales hire I, I worked with previously, my second sales hire I worked with previously, like uh, my co-founder I knew from college, like, you know, so the, the network grew enough to where it was a little easier to make certain hires and connect the dots easier too. So, so that's a, you know, fascinating point on connecting the dots because you know, I think to some extent, you know, as an entrepreneur, you've got to have a vision for the future of what can be because it doesn't exist today, right? Um, but when you were getting prepared to start Sendoso, how much was in your mind's eye? Like, were you visualizing, you know, what the business could look like in three, four, five years? You know, what did the org structure look like? Like, what was your process? You know, some people talk a lot about visualization. They go to a certain physical location to imagine the future they do it before bed um or for you was it hey i know i can do this i'm gonna get started and i'm gonna learn along the way you know what was your process for kind of seeing the future yeah so i've been a bit more of a block and tackle short term very short term type of of thinker and doer like i i saw that sendosa could be a big business and i you know, did my homework on like the addressable market and some of those things to know that like there's something to be had here, but I didn't want to waste too much of my time in like, okay, what should the org structure be like when there's 300 people or like, what's our projections over the next five years? I was like, fuck that. If I can't get to next week, this is, there's going to be no five years. So I've been uh, very, you know, uh, driven by like, very short-term milestones and just blocking and tackling and then kind of seeing that snowball turn into an avalanche. And um, I think I, I still um, have a bit more mindset like that. And I think, you know, as a company scales, I need to be a bit more forward thinking. I've obviously hired some amazing C-levels that and, and other people at the, the org that can do some of that. But I think some of my specialty too is still just like, I can get shit done and I can still, you know, move i can get on these tiger teams now and i can like move the needle which in my eyes if i can move a lot of needles and move the, move it it's going to be a ton of success long term but these little mini things you need to get done and not get distracted by the big things because you can't get big without the little stuff totally. uh, i think i think sometimes it's so difficult for you know someone in their first or second job that hasn't ever started a company before or maybe they've been working and they're just you know slowly getting up the rank it's like hard to envision yourself like leading and building a team and then using your network to tap into that. Mm -hmm. Have you done like leadership training? Are there books that you read? Like, what do you do to help grow yourself? Cause you're, you're a young successful professional that other people would say, great. Like maybe when I get to Chris's stage, then I can take my first venture. Yeah. So I, I read, I read a lot or I, I read blog posts. So I probably have about uh, 200 blogs in an RSS feed. And then I, love listening to podcasts. I'm not the biggest book reader. I just uh, oftentimes just like like more bite-sized content. Um, and I do network well with like advisors. I've, I've got uh, a ton of advisors that I'll collaborate with. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, I think it's, there's definitely this like 
uh, mindset of like, oh my God, there's a million things to do when you're getting started. And like, I think there's a bit of like, okay, like in the early days I would, um, you know, I had a, a Trello board of like, okay, this is my Trello list, everything I need to think about for, for sales development, for marketing, for finance, for CS, for uh, engineering, for products, for design. And there was like infinite ideas that were always in my head or coming from customers. And so that was like a simple like block, uh, like block and tack away for me to put them all there. And then I'd pull out five that I wanted to accomplish that month. And then I'd just get those done and then move on and move on. As I think there is a daunting task when you're jumping into entrepreneurship where there's like infinite things that need to get done. And, you know, in my case, like 75% of those things I've never done before in my life. Like, I don't know. I was like our first you know, CSM, I was our first like accountant, I was our first, you know, product manager. And I was in some of that I had to learn by doing and some of that I had to learn by asking or learn by reading. But, you know, I felt like as long as I had the confidence and I had the drive and I wasn't overwhelmed, I could, you know, continue to, to move the needle and block and tackle. So, so how do you prioritize? Like, what's your process? I mean, do you just have like an instinctive intuition where it's like, Hey, I know this is going to move the needle or do you have some other, um, you know, some other way of prioritizing it? Cause I would imagine, you know, some people can get very, you know, very daunt. It can be very daunting seeing a massive Trello board. Cause as you, you know, as you mentioned, there are a thousand things you got to do yeah. at different points in time, but there's 24 hours in, in the day and there's only one day, two day. Yep. So like, how do you prioritize stuff? For me, it was just the intuition of which ones to prioritize and, and making a, uh, an effort to prioritize and get things done. I, I see that there's some people that can just get into, you know, I'm making, I'm making a to-do list to then make a to-do list to then do some of the to-dos and you get lost in this world of planning. And I think that can really slow you down. If you spend, you know, two of your, uh, eight, you know, eight hours a day working planning at times, you're like, you know, for me, it's just like quickly figure out which ones I have intuition on to do. And then let's just start knocking them away. And longer term, that strategy worked for me well versus like, you know, always doing this like reprioritization piece, um, which, uh, you know, I think can be good at certain levels of the company, but kind of in early entrepreneurship, you just need to, you know, start, you know, checking things off the to-do list. Um, and then that's also where like, it was helpful for when hiring came in. It's like, I had a to-do list. So I infinite, uh, I had infinite things for the first people to do that join. And like when my lists got too long and it's like, okay, I need to hire someone here. Or, you know, when I onboarded something, a new a hire, I'd be like, Hey, here's like the 20 marketing tasks. Let's do it. And so then it was a easier collaboration in the early days to get stuff done with hires. And, um, and I still use that technique today where I'm like, Hey, we should do this thing. And oh, we don't really have someone for that. Let's go hire somebody. So this makes me think of paralysis by analysis and Andrew and I talk about this sometimes because uh, Andrew and I worked together at pocket points and he was an executive there. And sometimes I would say like, are we analyzing this too much? Like we have all this stuff written down, but it's like, okay, what do we execute then? And, and it's great. Like a lot of people can make lists. I can go on my whiteboard and write all that stuff down. And then let's just say you use your gut. But if you like can't actually execute and make a decision and you're stuck there, I feel like that's for a lot of people that I talk to, kind of are in that like, he like hesitant stage where it's like, it's okay to fail. If you, yeah. if something doesn't work, like that's how it's supposed to be. So you learn not to do that and you can start to begin and build up your own intuition. Right, Chris, to your point of, well, I, I just know what's prioritized because probably time and experience and, and a little bit of trial, 
uh, failure and error. So you kind of combine all that together um, to really like figure out your solution. I think that some of my experience of spending like eight years as a kind of a sales rep or account executive in different uh, fashions, that some of that uh, mindset and learning from like, you know, if you get a no on a sales deal, move on, or, you know, don't be scared to ask the right questions. And some of the sales mindset, I think it's actually a good kind of learnings for, you know, CEO or for entrepreneurs that somewhat undervalued. And like, I think historically a lot of, uh, startups and VCs really look for that like engineer product founder, where I think some of the skills that I've learned from being in sales has helped me really, you know, move fast, break shit, fail, learn, not take things personally, um, you know, recruit people, sell the dream, sell the vision, all that stuff um, is key. Yeah. I tell people, Hey, you know, go work retail sales. Go, <laughs> I, I worked at Verizon and sold cell phones, screen mm -hmm. protectors. That's hustling, man. I like you're, you're that was a Best Buy for a couple of years in high school. And so, yeah, retail sales. It, just, it gives you the ability to understand humans. I always talk, you know, if I were to go back to school, like, do I get an MBA or like, do I just study psychology? Mm -hmm. Do you just try to understand the human brain? Because if you really, really unpack all this, it's just, you know, how do I influence behavior and how do I change process? Um, so I want to kind of take a little bit of that and, and focus on that networking and advising piece. Cause I think, you know, let's just say you do have the infrastructure of, I can identify ideas. I understand how to build process and make decisions Like getting the right people to help you along the journey is really difficult. How do I find the right advisor for this specific industry or how do I build a group of advisors to advise me on this industry? How, how do you even go about that? Yeah. So I'd say like, some of the things that I've done, um, you know, uh, back in when you could actually go meet people face to face, I would go like crazy in San Francisco to start, like there's a site called Startup Digest, which would send a weekly list of like uh, events to, to, net, to like go to. I would go to like, you know, three or four of them a week. Besides the fact that it was like free beer usually, it was also just a good place to meet other like-minded people. Um, and so that was a you know, a, an awesome way to meet people. There's like a virtual one now called Lunch Club where you can just like randomly get connected for like a virtual Zoom. So I think there's serendipitous meetings that you can meet through just like randomly connecting with people. Um, I, you know, I think there's networking within your company that some people might, uh, you know, be scared to do more cross-department networking, but that might pay off in the long run depending on your goals. Um, and then I think there's building, you know, an advisory group um, or mentorship, uh, mentor group. And I think that, you know, um, I, I personally think that it's a great way for people to um, find other people that are willing to help. Um, I network and I mean, I mentor and advise some, some startups and some founders. Like, I think it's a, some people might feel, and I think when I was, one of the things I kind of regret when I was in AE uh, is that like, I kind of felt like I wasn't at a, a, a status that I should go and ask some like, you know, CEO, like, hey, can you be my advisor? I'm, because they might frown upon me being a salesperson. But looking back at that, I kind of, shame on me, I probably could have spun it in five different ways and, and done that. So uh, the other thing that I'm doing now is I, we have about 100 advisors that I have right now at my company um, that are part, part customers, part uh, just like random awesome people. And so I find that as part of our, you know, secret sauce is that we have a lot of great advisors and I open that advisory group up to other folks on my team. So like one of my 
first sales uh, hires, who's now a sales director, like meets with one of our, you know, VPs of sales advisors, who was a VP of sales at Salesforce and optimizely and elsewhere a couple times a week. So like, I'm helping, you know, basically enable my team to think that they should have advisors. And I think that, you know, besides just giving you another avenue to ask people questions, it gives you like career motivation. And it also can give you just like, um, you know, a nice way for my employees to expand their networks. And hopefully that pays off for them long term. Yeah. So, you know, on the topic of career motivation, you know, entrepreneurship is a career path in a sense. I mean, you're building your own career path, but for people that are sufficiently motivated to start their own business, or at least they think they have the motivation, you know, what would be some, you know, really just tactical pieces of feedback to say, Hey, if you're considering a business, you know, what are two or three things that you can do to really test yourself, you know, be, honest with yourself to see if it's a path that is right for you. You know, what are, what are two things? Cause you know, in, a, in today's environment, there is a lot of promotion around entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been romanticized. You know, you start this company, you have this exit, you know, you're a multimillionaire, you know, boats, yachts, exotic cars, but mm-hmm. any seasoned entrepreneur will tell you that that's a load of shit. It's really, really, really tough and taxing. Yeah. So what are some sanity checks that you can give somebody if they're looking to pursue the path? I mean, I would say jump off the cliff and try to start it in some fashion or another. I mean, I think in today's world, I mean, I, the, I got going by a, an Upwork uh, job posting to get the first design and, and MVP bill. And that was like, you know, there was no excuse for someone saying, well, I can't code. I don't know how to build something. Like, well, go to Upwork and get someone to build a MVP or like a, engineer saying like, I don't know if there's anyone's going to buy this. We'll go fucking talk to some customers, try to sell it, you know? So I'd say like the first, uh, the first thing you can do is just actually do it. And, you know, you can probably, you can learn a lot by, you know, spending five grand on an MVP if you can't code or spending, you know, two weeks trying to be a salesperson and, uh, you know, getting out of your shell and talking to people about is someone would buy this. So I think that's, the biggest thing is that there's this risk of going from like zero to one and you have to make this huge launch and you have to, you know, spend years building. And for, uh, for certain businesses, that's the case. I mean, you know, if you're building a spaceship, you can't just like, you know, put some fins on a, you know, a car and call it a spaceship. But, you know, for a lot of other businesses, specifically in software, the barriers to kind of get something going is rather low. Um, so I just say, do it. Um, and in some cases, I think it, you know, be comfortable with maybe doing it on a, on a weekend or an evening. And it's, you know, it's not all or nothing with your current employer. No, there's definitely employee employer law around IP and stuff. And, you know, there's some sensitivity there, but hey, if you're on your weekend and your hobby is to, you know, put together a little software website, fun hobby besides another person's hobby, which is, you know, going out and mountain biking. So, you know, spend your time wisely, I think, and you can maybe get something done on the side. Yeah, I think that um, having that impetus to just say, do it, see, yeah. learn and fail and evaluate. I, I have like a counter to that, which is patience. I know one thing that I, I felt myself and I talked to other folks that really are hungry for growth is sometimes you just need to spend time doing a job to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love your point earlier, Chris, which was network internally. 
Mm-hmm. I work at DoorDash. We now have 4,000 people. Yep. You know, there's 400 people when I'm there. We've brought on phenomenal people in various different divisions. And, and to your point, I will throw on time with our VP of marketing or throw on time with our new chief revenue officer because I want to understand, hey, what is your background? What is your story? What are you looking to come in here and learn their mindset? And so it, you don't have to feel like I need to do everything today. Yeah. Um, you need that sense of urgency, but that patience of, hey, if I want to do something, okay, it can take time. Um, and I don't have to do this every single day at all the times because it won't die if I don't touch it. But yep. like understanding, hey, I need to make sure that I'm taking full advantage of the positions that I'm in today, capitalizing on that while building. And that was going to be parlayed into the question of patience. Like how long has it taken you to build these things? Yeah, I mean, so for some doso purposes, like the... Uh, I mean, I've been at it for about four years now. Um, you know, I'd say uh, before launching Sendoso, there was this app called Coffee Sender that was a Salesforce app that I built off of Upwork. That was kind of like, I'd say like version, you know, 0.5 of what Sendoso came to be. And that was like an easy mental activity for me to say, hey, I can draw some mockups. I can get someone to build this thing and I can have a button in Salesforce to see if people will click on it and pay me money to send something that's a value and a gift. And so that was probably a year in the making before Sendoso came to be, um, to really where I, how, you know, enough wind in my sail and the timing was right in my life. And uh, the, the idea of, you know, that little thing mixed with all the pain I was feeling uh, at talk desk in terms of direct mail and gifting was just my epiphany to, to jump off the deep end and do it. Um, so, I mean, that's how long the journey for Sendoso has taken me so far. Um, and you know, I'd say my entrepreneur journey has been, you know, decades and decades in the making. So, you know, pivoting on that question a little bit, you know, things are changing. They always change. Mm -hmm. Nothing remains static, certainly not forever. So in terms of, you know, all the work that you're doing, how do you define success and whether that definition includes your, your personal life, professional life, the combination of the two, you know, how do you define success and how does that influence the decisions that you make on, you know, personal and personal and professional matters? Yeah. I mean, I think success, I I probably would say if I had to answer that and say like happiness is my uh, definition of success, you know, I think that, you know, my happiness in my uh, professional world, if, you know, if, if there becomes a time where I hate, you know, Monday morning or Sunday nights and I can't stand working for Sendoso and I'm unhappy, then that, you know, is a, a very big signal that something's wrong or, uh, you know, same in my personal life. But I think that, you know, for me, if I can continue my happiness, um, and I think that goes to being, you know, a bit more optimistic, but I think, you know, happiness is a good lover of success in, in the world. I think some people, you know, I think financial, you know, uh, wealth is something that is a means to happiness and it's obviously makes you, it can make people happier. And, um, but, you know, there's a lot of people that can be happy and feel successful without a ton of money. I, I feel like a lot of people we've talked to that are successful and if they use happiness as that determinant, they work a lot. And they over-index. There's no such thing as the Sunday scaries because I'm working Sunday night because yeah. I want to work Sunday night. Like, oh, what about Monday? It's like, I'm already working on Sunday. It's like one <laughs> continuous. There's, there's no, what, what's a week? I don't know what a week is. I just work every single day, all hours every day. So how do you find that balance then of, 
you know, if, if work is such a great place to be at, and I am really happy doing that, how do you find the balance? For me, I think it's like, if that is your happy place and your happiness in your life uh, or your life uh, besides your professional life is still that happy level too, then, then keep going. I think for some people, you know, working 24 seven can be very uh, motivating for them and they have a support group and their, their wife or husband or families are totally happy with that too and there's no disruption, then keep doing it, good for you. And I think there may be different parts of your life where if you're maybe uh, single and you're just, you know, maybe it's easier to control your personal life happiness because there's less um, variables. Um, so I think there's those type of factors. For me personally, I, I find a lot of happiness in, in, my life, in my personal life of traveling and hanging out with friends. And so I have a, you know, I try to work eight hours a day. I'm not someone that, you know, weekends and this and that, like here and there. And I'm, you know, I'm connected to my phone, so I'm available, but I, I tend to believe that, you know, I, I want to, you know, travel the world. I want to go to, you know, go eat at nice places. I want to, you know, watch a new Netflix series. So I think that for me, my happiness is a combination of both. And if you, you know, if my balance scale gets off where I'm working 80 hour weeks, then my personal happiness is going to, you know, deteriorate. So um, I think it's kind of knowing yourself and knowing what motivates you and knowing how the people around you are affected by it too. So I want to, I want to circle back to, you know, not all of the intimate details, but at least with some broad strokes, you know, what was the conversation like with your wife when you were deciding to get the business started and what kind of guidance or encouragement or just words of wisdom would you give to other people who are in a similar state where they're either, you know, they're in a relationship, not quite married, you know, and entrepreneurship can be a very stressful, you know, pursuit, certainly in the early days, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of advice would you give people navigating those conversations with their spouse? Yeah. So, you know, I kind of, the way that I navigated it is really, it was a, a team decision. So we were, she was as bought in as I was on that decision. It wasn't like there was regrets of like, you're taking this without considering me. So I really incorporated it into like, Hey, let's talk about this. Um, it wasn't something that I threw in the blue of like, Hey, I'm going to do this tomorrow. Like if you have 24 hours to decide, it was something we kind of talked about for a bit. We did some financial planning in terms of like, okay, if my monies are gone, you know, our savings is this, your salary is this, like, can we survive? Um, and there was some like, uh, big picture stuff too. It was like, you know, Hey, if we take one less trip this year, but you know, in 10 years we can take eight more trips. Like what, what do you think? Um, so there was a little bit of like selling the dream of like, you know, and I, I think there's a quote, uh, that I remember it was like entrepreneurs spend a few years of their life. Like most people won't, so they can spend the rest of their life. Like most people can't. And so there was a bit of like selling the entrepreneurship dream to her of like, you know, wouldn't you like to have X, Y, Z. And so, you know, even though I was just, you know, had my sales hat on, she was bought into the, she was, so we, we both went into it, bought in, we were, you know, financially in a state where we could uh, see that we're not going to be dying. You know, we, we downgraded some of our, you know, expenses. We turned it down some of our travel and this and that. Um, and then, you know, it's really like having the confidence that like, you know, for, for most people and myself, you're not to my own horn, but I could have gone back and gotten that same job that I left pretty easily. 
you know, there's, it's a job seekers market, especially, or it's a, uh, you know, especially in where you are, what you do. Uh, most entrepreneurs, I think, already have the skill set that most companies would value them no matter what. So like my worst case scenario was just go get another sales job and just do that. Like what's the worst that could happen if I fail? So, um, you know, I think some people take it to the extreme. I mean, there's stories of like mortgaging houses and this and that. And, you know, I don't know, there's a risk level there that might worry me a little bit. Um, but, you know, teach their own in terms of their risk levels and how they, they go about it. But I think it's, you know, talking it over looking at a, you know, some, some notes on paper and, and then, you know, having the confidence that you can always go back to what you're doing before. Uh, no. I'll, I'll throw this in there right, right before Jeremy asked your question, but there was uh, an interview that I was watching not too long ago where Mark Cuban was being asked a couple of questions, one of which is, you know, if you're a startup, <clears throat> pardon me, and you go try to raise bank funding, is bank funding a, a suitable way of funding the business? And he's like, that's absolutely the dumbest decision. You know, the bank doesn't care whether you're successful and they're going to come after you whether the business is a success or a failure. So it's like, you know, risk tolerance is certainly, in, you know, it's an interesting topic. I, I think it'd be fascinating to hear, Chris, your perspective on what you look for other people, because it seems like you've built a really good playbook, um, you know, with your, your family and friends and, and for your professional career. You have a strong footprint and, and understanding of here's what I can go out and accomplish. Here's, here's how I prioritize. Here's how I make decisions. So then when you look at other people that you want to bring in and add to your network, add to your team, what do you look for in those types of people? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's something that, you know, in the past few years, we've hired about uh, 250 or so people. So it's been uh, something that, you know, day in and day out, live and breathe. You know, some of the key qualifications and attributes that I look for, one is, you know, the, the hustle. I think there's, um, you know, besides having an amazing resume, if someone has maybe a lesser resume, but is hungry and ready to hustle, I think that can go a long way. So I like to bet on the underdog at times to come in there and improve themselves. Um, you know, I think there's certain people that can thrive at certain times of your organization. And you got to know that like when you, when you're a five person company versus when you're a 250 person company, you know, there's different people that can, uh, you know, uh, feel safe or can, thrive in those type of environments that are going to be different on that path. And so knowing that and knowing how to, to ask those types of questions or discover those type of attributes is key. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, has to do with, uh, also the person's, you know, relevant skill levels or, uh, even back channeling, I think is key too. So, um, how, how are you meeting these people? I mean, uh, a lot of our early employees and, and still a lot of hires are referrals. So it's a friend of a friend, it's an advisor, it's a old uh, customer turned, you know, employee. So there's a lot of different ways that we use our network to find good talent. And, you know, you trust one person and you hope that you can trust people they know too. So. For sure. That's super important. Um, so, you know, we want to, we want to be mindful of your time. And so I'll, I'll ask you this question, which is very future looking, you know, we touched on the future a little bit, you know, what would life be like if we could have these eight vacations, but you know, how do you envision the future? What does the future look like for you and your eyes? And, um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think for me, I'd like, I would love to work at Sonoso for the next couple decades. I think uh, build a big business, you know, go public and have an awesome time 
working at a company that I love and, and having thousands of employees that love it too. So I, I, I think along that way though, I see myself uh, still kind of paying it forward, giving it back a little bit too to other entrepreneurs. And like, I love hearing the hustle and ambition of other entrepreneurs too. And so I could see myself doing more, you know, investing and advising. Um, and then just continuing to spend time with my family, you know, keeping that, you know, life uh, and work happiness balance. So, you know, doing all the, the family things that would make me happy on the side too. So. That's fantastic, Chris. Well, uh, we're starting to enter episodes now with either uh, a couple of businesses or a couple of industry trends that you're most excited about. So what are some companies and or uh, industry trends that you're, you're watching and paying close attention to? Yeah. Um, I, I'm intrigued by kind of Zoom apps and things that are built on top of Zoom or around Zoom. Um, I think that, you know, the virtual world is going to stay and we're going to be, many companies are going to live in that world. So I think there's an opportunity to, to have some disruption in Zoom uh, as it relates to making it better or, or useful in other areas. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'd say that's one of the bigger ones. I think I'm cognizant of, you know, the way we interact with things and, you know, voice becoming, uh, you know, the Siri of the world kind of being up other ways that we interact with computers and other devices. You know, it's like, uh, uh, I've started to use uh, t uh, voice to, to write emails now, and I find that being more efficient at times than just typing um, as I can. Uh, so I think voice is going to emerge. And then I think just, you know, uh, in terms of B2B sales and marketing, which is like the landscape I live in, I think it's just like this uh, leveraging software really well and knowing the right channels at the right time. So I think there'll be interesting trends emerge with you know, uh, you know, partnerships and co-selling and that whole arena um, as a channel and just demand gen and sales and marketing will continue to evolve, you know, every, you know, few years to have uh, new ways that you have to engage and build relationships with buyers and customers. And so I'm excited to how software will affect all that. That's awesome. So for people that, you know, they become inspired by listening to this podcast or watching the show and they want to either apply to work at Sendoso because they're jazzed up or yeah. they want to follow you in some way. Where can people find you online? So uh, search me on LinkedIn, add me there. Um, you know, send me an email. It's Chris, K-R-I-S at Sendoso.com. Um, get my inbox and happy to grab some coffee or virtual coffee. Um, and, you know, I'd love meeting new people. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Chris, for joining us. It's been a, you know, an awesome conversation and I'm, I'm sure people are going to be pretty stoked to, to listen to this. We're, we're definitely happy to have had this conversation with you and, you know, things are awesome and rocking with Sendoso. So keep up the great work and, you know, good luck. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you have questions, feedback, and ideas for future episodes, please email us at summitpodcasts at gmail.com. Again, that's summitpodcasts, plural, at gmail.com, or message us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at summitpodcasts. Thanks so much, and keep on climbing.